Hi, this is Ed Vasey, and this is The Vasey View, where I talk to tech entrepreneurs and tech thinkers about um, tech. And I've just been on a tour of Europe. I've been to France, I've been to Holland, and now I'm sort of going to Israel, even though the person I'm about to talk to is based uh, also in London. My guest today is Easy Vidra, who is uh, one of the partners at Remagine Ventures, a venture capital firm based in London and Israel. And full disclosure, Lion Tree, who run Kindred Media, are investors in his fund. And Easy is somebody I've got to know over the last few years. And I thought if I wanted to find out a bit about what is going on in Israel, I couldn't think of anyone better to talk to. So welcome, Easy. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. Thanks, Ed. It's wonderful to have you on the show. Now, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Give us a quick potted biography about how you came to be where you are today. Sure, I'll give it a quick shot. So I was born in Argentina. I moved to Israel when I was a kid. I did my uh, mandatory military service and my college in Israel. Uh, I even co-founded a startup in my last year of college. And uh, then I was lucky and was offered an internship for a startup in New York. Um, spent uh, three years at GLG in New York and then moved to the West Coast for two years to uh, be a senior product manager at Ask.com. And uh, my wife and I made a deal that uh, she would move with me from New York to San Francisco if I moved with her to London to do our master's. Um, and that's how I ended up in London um, 12 years ago and uh, did my master's at London Business School. And after I graduated, I joined Google where I spent six years um, started Google Campus in London and expanded the model internationally um, and became the head of Google for Entrepreneurs in Europe and then became the first general partner for Google Ventures outside of the US. That's uh -huh. how I ended up here. And how on earth did you escape the clutches of Google? It must have been a very uh, comfortable existence. It was a very uh, fun learning experience and roller coaster um, and I really enjoyed my time but uh, I'm also really enjoying um, my own fund and, uh, you know, putting my own stamp on things. And when did you set it up? So um, we officially launched Remagine Ventures on September 2019 um, after a process of setup and fundraising. And uh, we've made eight investments so far. So it's still all relatively fresh and new, but uh, super exciting. So I want to talk about uh, Israel and the Israel tech scene. So when I was the tech minister, I made an official visit to Israel. Very exciting. And uh, in fact, uh, the ambassador in Israel at the time was a guy called Matthew Gould, who set up the UK Israel Tech Hub. He was very kind of go ahead. There'd be nothing like this uh, that the British government had ever done before. It was a way of bringing UK tech companies together with Israeli tech companies. And Matthew's since gone on to head the uh, digital department at the DC, uh, the Department of Culture, Media and Sport in the UK. And he now runs the digital uh, arm of the National Health Service. So he obviously learned a lot while he was in Israel. But Israel kind of stands out. Uh, you know, it's this small country. It's got very complicated politics. It's in a very complicated region. But every entrepreneur and VC likes to have that book, Startup Nation. I'm just turning around and looking at my bookshelf. It's Startup Nation on our shelves. And everybody reads it and becomes an expert in uh, Israeli tech. But uh, 
I'd love you just to talk me through the tech scene. It always starts, it seems to me, with everybody doing their national service and ending up doing uh, working in cybersecurity. But that is a bit of a cliche. So give us a sense of why it is that you think there's such a thriving tech scene in Israel. Sure. And you're right. You know, I also just turned around and looked at my shelf and pulled up the book. Uh, and um, I think you know, it, it does tell a story or tells a particular narrative, which is the traditional narrative of um, Israel has mandatory military service. A percentage of that um, you know, force that goes uh, into the national service um, goes into advanced intelligence units that... Uh, essentially uh, get picked from, from high school uh, according to their grades and uh, other tests that they have to go through. And then they get trained in sort of like advanced machine learning, computer vision, AI, etc., and go out and create wonderful startups um, on the other side. But I think it's also a limited view. And uh, there's actually a, a new book that came out last year that's called Chutzpah, uh, which for those that are not aware, it's a word that describes a lot of the Israeli attitude. It's uh, somewhere between uh, uh, you know, uh, disregard to the impossible and uh, maybe being a bit pushy. Uh, and uh, that tells a story that actually the entrepreneurial bug starts way before um, the military. It starts with the way that, uh, that Israelis are brought up. And uh, you know, a lot of independence, a lot of risk-taking from a from a young age, um, and I think that they're probably the, the truth is somewhere in between, right? Like there's something about the culture that makes it permissive for people to uh, to think big and create businesses. Uh, there's something about the traditional role model, which uh, in Israel it's very much to be an entrepreneur. The social graph is such that uh, the distance between you and an entrepreneur is probably one person. Um, everyone knows uh, an entrepreneur, wants to be an entrepreneur, etc. It's, it's very common when I take the taxi from the airport in Israel, if I tell the taxi driver that uh, I'm a venture capitalist, he will probably pitch me an app idea that he has. Um, and, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if uh, the waiter or the waitress in the restaurant would do the same. Um, so it's, a, it's kind of like a national bug, uh, but it's still relatively a, a, a small uh, part of the population participates in, in high-tech. Uh, but it created some incredible companies and has the highest startup density per capita in the world. Because I wasn't uh, expecting that answer. I think that's absolutely fascinating because as a policymaker, you wrestle all the time with, you know, how do we teach kids the kind of skills they need to succeed in the high tech economy? And we're constantly kind of pulling our hair out. Let's have more coding in schools, uh, you know, more kind of work experience of the right type. But you're basically saying that, you know, you're, when you're at high school in Israel, you're already kind of breathing in the entrepreneurial air. I think it starts even from before. Um, and, you know, part of it is developing the skills, but also part of it is having this attitude that it's okay to fail and you have to take risks. And by the way, you're getting the opportunity to lead and try things out from a very young age. So, you know, you, if you just focus on the skills and you risk getting to a position like some of the Asian countries where, you know, there's a huge emphasis on getting good grades and learning, which is amazing and it creates uh, exceptional talent, but then they have to sort of like follow the path and, and failing is not an option. And uh, that tends to lead more to corporate jobs uh, where they can, you know, sort of like get paid and be safe rather than take risks and fail. I love that because, and I, is it anything to do with kind of Israel being 
a young country? Because I think the the kind of read across, if I'm thinking about the UK and people, uh, you know, I think it's changed a lot. I think there are many more people you would find at university, for example, who would leave and uh, want to set themselves up as entrepreneurs. But definitely the UK, it's an old country. Let's not beat around the bush. And people want safe jobs. But uh, without wishing to be too kind of uh, risque, there's a kind of cliche, a Jewish cliche that, you know, Jewish mothers want their kids to be doctors or lawyers. But uh, you're saying actually the culture in Israel is not to take the safe option. Well, you know, I think that there's still the pressure to uh, to make our mothers, to please our mothers uh, <laughs> and, and go to school. I should say I have a Jewish mother, just uh, in case anyone's offended. <laughs> um, me too. And, uh, you know, that guilt and uh, push to, to do more and do better is always there. Um, but I think it would be too simplistic to... Uh, to say that it's one thing or, or another, you know, you have to remember that until the 90s, the main export out of Israel was agriculture, uh, you know, oranges. And uh, things change massively since then. And there's, there's a few reasons for it that I'm happy to get into if you're interested. Um, but it's not just culture or just sort of like a, an entrepreneurial attitude. It's also the density of the startups in Israel, the availability of venture capital, um, the success of role models that manage to uh, show people that it's possible, etc. So I think it's a combination of things and um, that all brings together to a wonderful melting pot of startups. Yeah, I want to get into all of that. In fact, um, weirdly, I'm trying to kind of draw contrast between the UK and Israel. And now, because I interviewed Prince Constantine in the Netherlands, uh, I want to sort of draw parallels between the Netherlands and Israel because it's a small country, densely populated, Entrepreneurial. You mentioned agriculture. I think uh, Holland is the largest agricultural exporter in the world. And I wondered whether what um, Israel has to do to kind of survive, if you like, influences uh, the venture capital culture. I was, for example, uh, I was, for example, fascinated by the fact that, you know, Israel has this incredible technology for reusing water because water is in such a short supply. I mean, are there kind of are there industries that uh, are kind of tech industries in Israel that kind of riff off the back of what Israel has to do? Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, the scarcity or, you know, being a small country in, with very particular circumstances um, and also with its, with its climate, etc., has absolutely been a driver for innovation. I believe that Israel is one of the highest um, countries in water desalination, uh, but yeah, also there's been a lot of, on the agriculture side, a lot of technologies have been invented in Israel from drip irrigation that was invented in a kibbutz uh, with an effort to save water, but basically it's a pipe that runs, runs along the field with tiny holes and a computer controls the drip, um, you know, according to the plant's needs. And uh, also, um, you know, Israel invented the sherry tomato. So if you're having a, a salad with a small tomato, that's an Israeli invention. Um, I have no idea. I eat, I eat them all the time. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it, there's a lot of that. And I think it goes across. It's not just in agriculture. Of course, it, it carries across um, hardware and software. You know, you know everybody knows the, the story of Checkpoint, one of the largest uh, cybersecurity companies in the world that uh, famously invented the firewall. And that came out of necessity where um, the founder of, uh, of Checkpoint uh, was in the army and he had to collaborate with a 
um, civilian company to transfer files like from the army to the civilian company. And he didn't want to expose the entire directory of the army. So he came up with the idea of creating a firewall and then putting only the files that uh, the contractor needed to, uh, to approach in the firewall. And that uh, after the army became checkpoint and became a huge company. And, and there's plenty of stories of needs that were discovered as a necessity and were later commercialized. Um, but also I think there's pure innovation and, and in invention and uh, for the sake of it, not necessarily to solve a national problem. And we should also recognize that. So talk us through a bit about the kind of tech unicorns in Israel and their journey. So again, uh, I kind of put Israel into a kind of European package, partly because Israel takes part in the Eurovision Song Contest, but also obviously you're three, four hours from most European uh, capitals. And I want to talk about the kind of links with Europe in a minute. But one of the things that obviously comes out from a lot of my conversations with uh, European tech entrepreneurs is uh, the massive influence of kind of US money, if I can put it that way. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, I'm, uh, the idea that uh, European, inverted commas, tech companies sell out, and I'm not saying that in a majority way, to the US quite early on. Uh, Constantine gave the example of Booking.com, which sold, I think, at a $100 million valuation. Uh, is that how Israeli unicorns scale? Well, that used to be the case that uh, the criticism on Israeli startups was that they used to sell too quickly. Um, I think a lot changed. Part of it due to the availability of growth capital that enables these companies to um, essentially stay private longer because they can access the capital that they need to grow. Um, or, you know, when the IPO window is open, go public. Um, and then, you know, that, of course, feeds the possibility to do more acquisitions, etc. But uh, generally speaking, um, I think the situation changed a lot. Uh, there are 39 Israeli startups that are considered unicorns. If you, I really like your definition of, uh, you know, Israel is in the Eurovision and therefore it's part of <laughs> Europe. Uh, I also use it. And uh, yeah, um, but but uh, on the on the other side, the, the big problem that uh, that Israeli unicorns have is uh, with labeling because because Israel has a very negligible uh, size domestic market, Israeli companies tend to go global from day one or at least think global from day one, and in most cases that means um, the U.S. market. So a lot of the Israeli unicorns tend to get counted as U.S. unicorns, but you know who cares about labels? That uh, we know we know where they came from and we know who they are. Um, so I can give you some examples of uh, of recent ones. Yeah, but, please uh, do. You know, there's uh, so generally there's uh, I think the combined value of the Israeli unicorns um, is uh, over seventy billion dollars. Um, they've raised uh, more than $38 billion. I'm taking these uh, great stats from techaviv.com, which was created by Yaron Samid, an Israeli entrepreneur himself. Um, and they and Tech Aviv is presumably the kind of, like Tech Nation in the, in the UK, it's the kind of quango that uh, bangs on about Israeli tech. Uh, it's the quango that bangs on about Israeli tech is a different one. It's called the Startup Nation Central. Uh, which uh -huh. is a non-profit organization that sort of like aggregates all the stats and, and 
brings a lot of the, uh, the research um, on Startup Nation together. Tech Aviv is a founder uh, organization, like a member organization for founders, which I'm uh, oh, yeah. happy to be a part of. Um, but uh, Like Founders Forum. Like Founders Forum. And both are very um, valuable in sort of like the data they provide, but also the companionship and the network that they offer. Um, so, you know, just to, to drop some names uh, of Israeli unicorns, um, maybe from the known, more knowns to, to less known. Um, and I'm talking about privately owned. I'm not uh, talking about uh, um, public companies, etc. But you have Iron Source um, or Payoneer. Um, Iron Source is an advertising and gaming company. Payoneer is a payment company. You have Get that uh, we had for a while in the UK. I believe they are still active in the UK, which is taxi yeah. hailing, um, you know, Tabula and Outbrain that recently merged in a giant deal, um, advertising technologies, Hippo oh, Insurance, yeah. um, Hippo Insurance, or um, you know that is uh, sort of like disrupting insurance as well as Lemonade uh, disrupting insurance, Sentinel One, which is a cybersecurity company, Apps Flyer, it's a company in the mobile analytics um, space, um, and so on and so forth. So uh, the, the um, maybe I should mention one more recent uh, unicorn, which is uh, Moon Active, which is a gaming company that uh, oh, yeah. a game that makes over a million a day. So they're they're varied in their industries, um, but generally speaking, they remain private and very valuable because they were able to find that growth capital. So uh, you mentioned startup uh, central earlier, and um, you don't have, as far as I'm aware, an official government role, but. I wonder whether you could comment on what the Israeli government itself does to support the startup ecosystem. I'm obviously, as a policymaker, fascinated by what government can do to help. And when you mention the 350 R&D centres, uh, I can imagine that the government spent some time tempting people over to come and base their R&D centres in Israel. Is the government very active, regardless of the extraordinarily complicated politics in Israel is there a kind of consistent approach to support the startup system to tempt in uh, foreign investment uh, to help companies grow to an extent yes and uh, historically the government had a huge role in the creation of the venture capital industry by uh, launching a program called Yozma it's a Hebrew word for Yozma it means initiative in 1993 um, that offered essentially tax incentives for foreign venture capital investments in Israel um, and matching, so basically double the investments with funds from the government that then uh, don't, don't need to be returned or need to be returned on a very low um, sort of like interest in case of success. And that uh, essentially made the annual venture capital investment in Israel from something like uh, 58 million to 3.3 billion between uh, 91 and 2000. Um, so that kickstarted a lot of the venture capital firms in, in Israel and I think perhaps uh, created the snowball of a startup nation that, that we have today. So historically, the, the government had a huge role to play. And uh, you write that with regards to multinational R&D centers, there was a push to sort of like bring companies to either acquire an Israeli startup and set up their R&D center or, you know, put people on the ground. Um, but that narrative has changed because what it created is 
um, essentially success became a, suddenly a risk because you have all these multinationals and they are willing to pay uh, corporate salaries, then it created a talent crunch where essentially you have uh, the Googles, Facebooks, uh, Microsofts, Intels of the world, you know, with large presence and growing in Israel. Um, and then it meant that uh, the startups struggled to, to get people to, um, to join their ranks because they couldn't pay as much, they couldn't offer the benefits of, of a large corporate. And I think that... Uh, that tune of, you know, let's get as many multinational R&D centers as we can change. And the, the emphasis is much more on developing um, the right talent and also getting access to, to the right capital. Um, so during COVID-19, many governments around the world, the UK included, um, have launched a number of schemes. And um, Israel, of course, uh, is one of them. I'm not sure if I'm able to tell you if it was particularly successful or if the uptake um, was uh, was great. But uh, the government, no doubt, has a role to play. But part of it is also staying out of the way um, and letting innovation happen. Um, and uh, in regards to, to recent policies, I think the biggest emphasis now is in creating more entrepreneurial talent in Israel there was a uh, study that was published a couple of days ago that showed that the percentage of um, Haredi, which means uh, Orthodox Jews participating in high tech, uh, grew by 52% from 2014 to 2018. Um, so they represent about 3% of the uh, overall uh, workforce in high tech. But there's still a lot of work to do to incorporate uh, more parts of the society into the tech engine. So that's that's fascinating. I mean, I think uh, I was going to ask whether um, the influx of kind of foreign R&D centers had uh, led to a talent crunch. I mean, that's a very hard thing to overcome. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, um, it's, a, it's something that you need to work very hard um, to change. And it's something that... Um, you know, it's a potentially big risk for, for the startup ecosystem if they can't get uh, the, the, the right numbers um, of developers or talent to participate. But, uh, but if, you were, if, you, if you've got a startup in Israel and you wanted to hire, f for the sake of argument, 20 developers from Estonia to move over, is that an easy thing to do or not? Not at all, but I would say that there's a huge level of outsourcing um, to Eastern Europe uh, because of this talent crunch. So, you know, a lot of Israeli startups would have part of their development um, somewhere in Eastern Europe, whether it's uh, Kiev or Belarus or, or one of those Eastern European markets with um, high technical talent, but perhaps less access to capital and ideas, etc. Well, that's brilliant. You've allowed me now to segue into the, the kind of relationship between Europe, Europe and Israel. So you must be one of the few funds, as it were, that's explicitly kind of a link between London and Israel. Uh, you know, am I kind of on a hiding to nothing to think that if I was talking to UK startups, I would be saying, you know, and they're, they're saying just like the Israeli startups, you know, the, the first plane ride I'm taking is over to Silicon Valley. Is there any point in me saying actually the first plane ride should be to Tel Aviv? To the startup? Yeah, I mean, it just seems to me that Israel's around the corner, or certainly to VCs in the UK uh, and funders in the UK. I think, for example, 
I'm probably being totally unfair here and it's not based on any uh, research or knowledge. But Israel does not come up in conversation that much, whereas obviously Silicon Valley comes up in conversation all the time and people talk about the French tech scene or they talk about the German tech scene, but they don't really talk about the Israeli tech scene. It's not part of the kind of day-to-day conversation in London, is my impression. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. I think that, um, so first a brief introduction. So I, uh, together with my partner, uh, we run Remagine Ventures, which is an early stage fund investing at the intersection of tech, entertainment, data and commerce. Uh, with a focus on Israeli startups particularly, but uh, my partner is in Tel Aviv and I'm in London. Um, I also care a lot about connecting these two markets and try to um, participate in various activities uh, to do that as UK-Israel business, which is a non-profit organization, and the Israeli Tech Parliament, which is a meetup for Israelis in tech in the UK. So I'm very familiar with sort of like the the challenge of uh, you know bringing these two countries closer together. There's very strong uh, commercial and trade ties between Israel and the UK, but when it comes to startups, um, they're looking for two things. They're looking for capital and they're looking for, um, well, three things, capital, talent, and customers, right? Traction. And it's very rare that you would see um, Israel, an Israeli startup sort of like uh, prioritize um, London over Silicon Valley, but I think increasingly, especially for certain industries, London is the natural place to be for startups that are doing uh, certain things like fintech. Um, so I think that there's an increasing level of engagement uh, between the two markets. I'm not sure it goes both ways because, you know, why would a UK startup necessarily go to Israel? Well, maybe to look for talent. But uh, as I mentioned, uh, talent is hard, uh, hard to get because of the talent crunch. Um, so maybe they would go there to, to raise money, but uh, London um, has the highest concentration of venture capital in Europe, so there's plenty of money at home. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure that they have this incentive to, to go and, and, and travel to Israel early in their journey, but I do think that uh, sooner rather than later, they, they will start doing business uh, with Israeli companies, whether it's uh, services or... Um, acquiring Israeli companies or, or looking at Israeli talent uh, um, in one way or another. Um, but overall, uh, all startups look to Silicon Valley and maybe right after to New York before they look at other places. I mean, it's, Israel's what, a four-hour plane ride away. The sun is always shining. What's not to like? I mean, uh, you mentioned that you're investing in entertainment. I mean, I binge watch uh, box sets over the whole uh, lockdown here, including Fowder on Netflix, uh, a fantastic yeah. Israeli TV series. Homeland is based on an Israeli TV series. I mean, there is this, uh, and you mentioned uh, the huge success in games. There is this kind of um, cultural thing in Israel about entertainment, storytelling, games. It's a big sector. Tell us about that sector, but also about what you yourself are investing in. I'd be fascinated to know. So uh, we, we like the intersection of industries. So if you think about the fact that uh, COVID-19 made us um, essentially go through rapid digital transformation and adjust to working remotely, um, there's a similar transformation going in how we spend our time outside of work, uh, from entertainment to education to wellness and fitness and uh, um, you know social and Israel is particularly good at uh, certain technology stacks, whether it's AI, machine learning, computer vision, 
And it's wonderful when entrepreneurs choose to take those skills and focus on some of these other markets that are less tended to, uh, but have huge opportunities. So happy to share what, what we invested in or give you three examples just to, uh, so you have top of your mind. Uh, you're such an old pro. You're such an old pro, Easy. Three examples is exactly what I was going to ask for. That's exactly the right number. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll make it quick too. Um, so we invested in a company called Vault AI that does predictive analytics for consumer insights. Uh, it's a very strong technical team that is based in Natania. Uh, they were the CTO and VP of R&D of Final, Israel's most successful um, algo trading fund. And they apply those uh, quant heads uh, to solve the problem of what customers would like to watch or consume, uh, even pre-production. But even if you already produced it, where else geographically is this content going to work? What advertising categories go with it? Uh, the commercial team is in LA and the R&D sits in Israel, for example. We invested in site, uh, syte.ai, a company that's really world-leading in uh, computer vision image recognition. They understand images inside products with a very high degree of accuracy. So they are, for example, today embedded in uh, every S8 Samsung phone and above. Um, and when you take a picture or even point your phone at something, or you know, it could be a sofa or it could be uh, someone's uh, shirt, you can see where you can buy the exact same product or something that looks uh, you know, very, very similar to it. Um, without needing to type it into your search engine. You just basically search via image. Um, and maybe finally, uh, we invested in a company that's called um, Our One that um, creates synthetic video uh, of uh, real human characters. So they developed two tech stacks. One is the ability to capture any person and transform them into a digital character. And two, be able to enact uh, that person and create a high quality video at scale. It's not an open platform and can't be abused for deep fakes, etc. I was about to say to, it sounds dangerous. <laughs> it, of course, but I think ethics uh, are a huge part. Ethics go hand in hand with uh, AI and uh, we have a strong ethics policy. Uh, but the technology itself is uh, groundbreaking and uh, they're doing great things with it already. So you just started this fund. Tell us a bit about your vision uh, for the next five years, when we reconnect on this podcast in five years' time, where do you think you'll be in terms of the Israeli tech scene and where do you think you'll be in terms of your fund? Will you have had at least one unicorn exit? Um, well, thank you. I think wishful thinking is always good. Uh, I, find, <laughs> I find that the harder I work, the luckier I get. So um, I see myself working very hard in the next five years to help each and every company we invest in become successful. But we already are uh, very grateful to see um, some very positive early signs. Um, Minute Media, um, which is one of our investments, is uh, world-leading in uh, sports content uh, for fans. And they recently acquired Players' Tribune um, in the U.S., for example. Site um, is growing very rapidly. But in five years' time, I really hope that, uh, uh, one, that uh, we've taken some risk and backed some really bold ideas and entrepreneurs. Uh, and two, that uh, we're, we were able to, to be successful both for our companies and our investors. I want to be the source of the first check for um, ambitious entertainment and gaming tech entrepreneurs. So if, if we are able to get that tap on the shoulder that someone is starting a new company uh, before anyone else, then it means that I did my job right. And you're gonna, do you invest in UK companies as well or they're all um, in Israel? Um, 
So we will start investing in the UK from our next fund. Uh, it was a matter of focus uh, for the first fund to provide access to, to Israel, which is a market that many want access to, but it's a bit difficult to, to tap into it uh, uh, without sort of like the local knowledge. Uh, but we see incredible opportunities in the UK. And uh, to be honest, uh, we might even do a, a UK investment before the next fund. But as it is, uh, two of our companies have uh, strong presence in the UK already. And of course, we always uh, extend introductions, etc. And I expect more of our portfolio to do business in the UK, um, even before we invest in UK startups. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Easy, for that. Um, we met uh, at a Lion Tree conference on the West Coast. Uh, in fact, I, I presented uh, or I compared a panel with Vault AI. I think they're a fantastic uh, company. And I think this uh, whole... Um, uh, nexus between tech and entertainment, particularly kind of uh, data analytics and AI is going to be a fascinating development over the next um, uh, few years. But I really wanted to get across in this podcast uh, a sense of um, the excitement that is happening in Israel and a feel which you've given me about the sort of culture of entrepreneurialism in Israel. And I hope that uh, obviously hundreds of thousands of people listening to this uh, podcast, so you'll be inundated with um, people seeking funding for their startups. But I hope above all, it kind of reinforces the point that UK policymakers and people involved in the UK startup ecosystem should make sure that they are firmly engaged with what's happening in Israel and indeed vice versa. And I, I, I thank you for that. And I would hope to host you in Israel in the very near future in more normal times. Uh, it's a wonderful place to visit and you can see it for yourself. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Easy. Thanks, Ed. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Vasey View, a production of Kindred Media. Kindred.